With Capella University's FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines, learn at your pace, and access most coursework from anywhere at any time. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, and welcome to the Olive Magazine podcast. My name is Janine, I'm the food editor, and I'll be your host for this episode. This week, we'll be sharing tips on how to have the perfect picnic, whatever the weather. Webed, Charlotte and drinks writer Sarah are chatting about foodie gender stereotypes. And I'll be doing battle with Chief Sub Gregor over who has the best fish recipe. First up, a quick chat about picnic do's and don'ts with cuckoo writer Anna. So the new issue of Olive is out this week, the August issue. And one of the things we've got in there is this lovely feature, which is all about picnics. I mean, you know, the weather... We're, we, we all know what the weather can be like, but we're all still out there with our picnic baskets and with our an bottles of, with an umbrella <laughs> and our bottles of wine, trundling off to the park, pretending it's not happening. Um, but um, yeah, so we thought we'd just share a few of the things in the issue with you and then maybe talk about some kind of do's and don'ts of picnics. Um, so what have we got in here, Anna? There's some really nice stuff. I really love the spiralised summer rolls. Everyone's spiralising at the moment, and I just think this is such a creative way. Um, So they're super light, and they're also vegan as well, but the dipping sauce is really good. Um, I think when we were making this, one thing we thought about was um, that a lot of picnic food tends to be, you know, really stodgy. And it's good, you know, it's kind of what you want to get in between the beer and wine that you'll be drinking when you're in the sun in the park. Um, but we thought we tried to do a recipe for something that was really light as well. And what's really lovely about these is the spiralising of the vegetables actually really does take the place of the noodles. So it's got the same yeah. kind of texture and crunch within the summer roll wraps. And they've got this lovely kind of Asian dipping sauce so you've got all the kind of fresh veggies and then you've got this really punchy chili soy sauce as well so that I think that's definitely a winner um and what about these cocktails that we made as well these are pretty good aren't they they were inspired by um Sarah drinks writer was saying that um there's a big trend this year uh for pre-made cocktails and I did not pre-made cocktails were and it's not gin in a tin um pre-made cocktails (laughs) pre-made cocktails are so something like a Negroni where you've got the um you know the the, all the balanced elements of a classic cocktail like a Negroni or an old-fashioned and they're served in a little bottle and they're they're there to be just poured over ice so they haven't got fizz added to them at that point they're just basically the really classic cocktails. It's a really good idea. I saw a can of Negroni on like a (laughs) <laughs> a metal can on Sarah's desk oh yeah week. I think that yeah I think that you know again it, it used to be kind of the pina colada and the jean tina tin and now I think they're moving on to yeah. slightly more sophisticated so we're a little bit ahead of that pack. bit more refined yeah what, what are the ones are your favorites the I absolutely love the muffaletta I yeah. think um just the combination of the cheese and the meat is is really really good really good flavors but the olive salad just makes it 
It's, yeah. It's um, full of green olives, shallots, celery, capers, a bit of garlic as well, and some red wine vinegar. And it just makes the, the, the sandwich. And it's pressed as well, so the dressing from the salad sort of soaks into the bread. Yeah. Um, and it's In the a, best possible way. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. And actually, that what's nice about the muffaletta is that you, um, in order to make the magic happen, you have to kind of you know, pull a bit of bread out of a big loaf, stuff it with lots of cheeses and meats and olive salad. Um, as Anna said, then wrap it up and press it. And it, it really benefits from sitting for an, for an yeah. hour or so. So it can be sitting quite happily going to your picnic. And then by the time you get to your picnic, you're kind of ready to dig into it. So that's a... That is a really good one. It's really good because it's so stuffed as well. There's so much going on in there, but actually it doesn't fall apart. A lot of sandwiches that you have um, yeah. in picnics, they sort of fall, fall apart as soon as you eat them. And you don't really want to bring knives and forks, you know, so it's really nice to... I think that's one of the things that we were saying, isn't it? That, um, you, you know, there's there's various kind of do's and don'ts that are, like on a picnic. And I guess the first one would be like, make sure that, you know, the carrier for your sandwich, make sure the bread is going to be something that's sturdy enough to... Survive the journey. Um, yeah, survive the journey <laughs> and survive, you know, because you, you don't want to have a sandwich where you take one bite of it and it falls all over your lovely summer dress or whatever else you're wearing. So um, that's tip number one. Have yeah. you got any other, other do's or don'ts? I've got a few. Um, so talking about sandwiches, yeah. there has been a bit of controversy in the office. All right. <laughs> I really, really hate soggy sandwiches. And okay. we've got a few people saying that they like them. <laughs> I'm not, I don't like... I, I'm not saying soggy. I'm saying when you... Plastic wrap. No, I'm not saying plastic wrap. I'm saying when you've when you've like made a sandwich and then you've sort of had it in your bag for an hour or so and then you take it out, it's, it's, it's nice and kind of slightly warmed. <laughs> And, you know, the butter sort of melted and the filling is kind of melded together. I don't mean in a horrible way. No. I mean in a really nice way. I can see but that with the muffaletta. Yeah, the muffaletta is the sort of the gold standard of what that should be. The, yeah. The, the the downside, the dark side of that could be a really horrible... Cucumber? Yeah, or tomato. <laughs> yeah. Possibly, thing, poss- possibly things that don't have salad in... Like, you know, cheesy, meaty things yeah. survive that journey a little bit better than things that have got floppy tomato and cucumber in them. That could be a bit tragic. Yeah. yeah. I actually really like um, bringing all the ingredients for sandwiches. And so then people can choose and sort of mix and match and make their own. So you just sort of like pull apart um, bread rolls and stuff them. And you just sort yeah, of like have like a buffet selection of all yeah. the, all the sort of like a deli. Yeah. deli ca- Anna's deli counter. Yeah, exactly. I like that idea. <laughs> Another thing that I really, what I really don't like is already dressed salads as yeah, well. That I agree. People bring them. Yeah. I mean, a grain salad works really well for yeah. for picnics because the dressing sort of soaks into them, mm. but it's lettuce, I'm, I'm thinking. I, like mm. like soggy, warmed lettuce. I think if you're gonna if you're gonna dress it, it has to be either say like a Greek salad, which everything is super chunky, yeah, and is gonna benefit from that, or like you said, a grain salad. Anything with sort of watercress or or floppy lettuce. Yeah. If you put the dressing on that, that that is gonna be just a damp layer of leaves at the bottom of your yeah. Tupperware by the time you get to the park. You'll be taking it home with you. No one wants that. Let's face it. One of my things is. Um, if there's going to be a lot of people at your picnic, I think you can be bossy and say, look, what's everyone going to bring? Because otherwise, 
I have been at picnics where everyone turns up with two tubs of hummus and a packet of breadsticks. Yeah. So, you know, we're all sort of going, and I'll bring something really nice and there's not enough for everybody. So I think it's, I think it's all right to be bossy, I think, you know, tell people or, or you know, just try and organise them a little bit into bringing Definitely. different food groups. You don't want a thousand scotch eggs, yeah. do you? Well, <laughs> even if you're in charge of the beer or wine food group, that's fine, you know, just as long as that happens. Everyone brings, brings a range of food. The other thing um, that I also sort of not on board with is um, old uh, cool boxes. So when people have really old school cool boxes and everything that you eat, even if it tastes of cool box. Yeah, because they've been warmed and cooled so much. Oh, no, that's really horrible. (laughs) So get a good good cool box and lots of ice. And and these days there's really nice cool bags, you know, and they're much more washable and stuff, I think. So, um, yeah, I think as well... As we were saying, you, no one should really take a knife and fork to a picnic, no, should no. they? Well, I think I think if you do oh, a nice, <laughs> nice grain salad, you're probably going to need something. Yeah, but um, yeah, not for not you, you won't need them for sandwiches. Or, yeah. That's the other thing as well. Quiche. How how do you feel about quiche on a picnic? I like in a kind of retro seventies way. I do like it, but what I don't like is those generic little quiche lorraines that that every single supermarket sells and we did a taste test of them once and guess what they were all made by the same people or they tasted like they're all made yeah. by the same people so I think if someone was going to like go to the the trouble of making a really beautiful quiche I'd be 100% behind it yeah definitely but um yeah the so not only have we got a lot of recipes in the August issue of Olive but we've got tons of picnic recipes online and some nice videos as well. Um, one of my favourites is one that Anna did, which is a jam jar picnic salad. And the lovely thing about this is each of the different ingredients is layered up in individual jam jars. And the dressing sits at the bottom and you mix it up with your fork before you eat it. So basically everyone gets their own individual salad as well, which I think is a really nice way to eat. And they're easy to transport as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. And so they've got their own little, you know, container. Yeah. So yeah, cheers, Anna. Thanks for that. No problem. Thank you. Thank you. Next, me and Gregor have been digging through some of our favourite cookery books this week and we are championing our best fish recipes. So Gregor, what are we talking about this week? We're talking about our favourite fish recipes. Nice. And what's yours, Janine? Well, um, I've been back looking at some old cookery books and um, I, I I do like fish. I don't do a lot of fish cookery at home, I don't know why. I'm sort of more of a do a lot of vegetarian I do a lot of kind of slow cooked meats and stuff but um I think maybe it's because um I just want that sort of spankingly fresh fish thing happening and a lot of the time after work you can't get a hold of that or you know you have to hit the the, mm. the sort of fishmongers on a Saturday to get it perfect really fresh, yeah. really, really fresh. Um, so the one I've chosen is one that kind of stays in my memory from the first time I ever ate it and I think I think it's exceptional um and it's called um, Agua Chili, and it's a Thomasina Myers recipe from her um, one of her first books, um, Mexican Food Made Simple. Um, I think you remember that she was um, she won one of the early um, Master Chef shows, yes. um, and she also spent so much time um, just after that traveling around Mexico. Rather than going straight into being a chef, she mm. sort of traveled around Mexico. Um, just learning the cuisine, learning all the different tricks, um, picking up loads and loads of tips, and then came back. Um, and a few years later, she opened the Oaxaca, uh, chip, which is quite a big chain of Mexican restaurants now. So she's always been quite fascinated by Mexican food. Um, 
this is one of the first books you wrote and Agua Chile, I think, really kind of epitomises what she loves about Mexican food and what I love about, you know, um, the sort of the more authentic side of Mexican food, as in not Tex-Mex. I am quite I'm quite fond of a refried bean. Yes, you are, you are. <laughs> um, so, so Agua Chile, what it is, is um, it is, you could say it's very similar to a ceviche, though um, it's a lot more liquidy. So th- that's where the water bit comes in. And um, how you make it is you um, take lots of lime, chili, fish sauce, sugar, cucumber, whiz it all up in a blender until you've kind of got this amazing like liquidy dressing and then you add tequila to it which gives it this massive punch it's not much just a couple of tablespoons and then what she adds in this recipe is um raw scallops which have been very very finely diced Mm. you add the raw scallops to the mix um add in some shallots and some cherry tomatoes and you leave it just 30 minutes and then you decant it into little um you you can put it in small glasses or you can put it into little glass bowls and the flavor you get when you eat it is this like amazing punch of kind of chili lime you know a bit of tequila and it just it really kind of gets all the bits in your mouth that sort of get your juices flowing that sounds amazing (laughs) i I think just about i've never tried that but it sounds fantastic and and just to top it all off she actually serves it with um you get some sort of Dale t- tortillas, mm-hmm. heat some vegetable oil in a pan and fry them so they puff up. So you've got these lovely warm tortillas to scoop it up with. So I mean, you know, I think yeah, that, think, that's, yeah. that's 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 quite intimidating that one. Yeah. But uh, but uh, but nevertheless, mine's maybe a little more homely, but nevertheless un- unusual. So okay. mine is from uh, one of uh, Rick Stein's earlier books too. Yes. It's uh, from Fruits of the Sea. And uh, what it is, is a sautéed red mullet with parsley, garlic and spaghettini. Uh, mm. What I really like about it is that it's, a, it's a quite unusual to have a fish spaghetti. Yeah. I mean, if it I'd probably, probably isn't yeah. in, 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 in Italy. But yeah. but, uh, but here you, you rarely see it. It's usually shellfish you would get with pasta yeah. or, you know, crab. Crab, yeah. But um, what, what this is, is red mullet, but you can use, you know, bream or you can use bass, something along those lines, a meatier type of fish, mm. white fish. And um, so you cut it into s- strips and you fry it, mm. skin side first, and then... And oh, then so you the leave the side. skin on it too? You leave the skin on it, and then you put, and then you add to that some chopped garlic, some uh, some chopped chilli, and then some seeded and skinned tomatoes, although you can do a quick route by just pouring in some, uh, what do you call it, liquid uh, passata. Passata, Some yeah. passata, just, well, I do that. It makes the tomato flavour more intense, but... Okay. But I like it like that, and then and then you just mix it through with loads of chopped parsley, spaghettini, and some olive oil. It's absolutely and perfect. And does the fish kind of break up a bit? It breaks up so a little meant, bit. So it's meant it's meant to break you, up. It's meant to break up a bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's. I mean, I try not to stir it too much so that it doesn't break down, but breaks up. And I find that it's absolutely one of the most delicious things. So people are always quite surprised by that one. Uh, that that uh, that a fish baguette is actually yeah, quite a successful think, thing. Like you said, you know, it's normally the clams or the mussels, or mm. you've got your crab which goes into spaghetti really mm. well. Yeah. But the idea of putting like chunks of fish in, you're sort mm. of like, where would the fish sit and what would it do? But I mean, that's yeah. that's quite it's a quite a classic Italian recipe, isn't it? It's beautiful. It yeah. really is perfect. And um, I think because I because I I love fish, and you were saying that you. Uh, that you, you cook it less often, but it's one of the things that I cook more often with fish because it's one of my favourite things. And, You've um, got a good fishmonger, 
There is there's a, there's an excellent one that's just ne- just near me in Victoria Park, um, and uh, it's uh, I think it's a Pimlico one originally. It has another branch there, mm. but it's very it's very expensive. But then there's a there's a fish stall bloke called Derek who runs it. I love a fish stall. <laughs> who, who who has it just down the road from me in the other direction, and it, it's really good. Yeah. Uh, you, you have to be quicker mm. to use the fish if you catch my drift. But, <laughs> but 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 nevertheless, it's, it's good. It's good. <laughs> And uh, so what, what I, I usually get shellfish from him, often cooked crabs, but uh, I'll quite quite often use the fish from him and just use it the same day. Mm. But because you're frying it, obviously you're cooking it more than you would with the fish in your yeah. recipe. It's uh, it, it works really well. It's quite a meaty fish. Yeah. And I've got a tip for your um, tomato thing, by the way, which oh, yes. is um, if you want to get that sort of super yummy tomato flavour, but without having to de-seed and de-skin it, just get a nice big ripe beef tomato and grate it on the um on the box grater. Okay. On the on the sort of um the the rough end of the box grater and yes. that breaks down the tomato. Okay. And That's it'll a, still give uh, it'll give you that instant kind of without all the fuss. And okay. All the... That's a great tip. Yeah. Thank you very much. Because I've been <laughs> I've been spending ages like scalding alternately scalding and then freezing my fingertips. So, you know, <laughs> it never seems to work as well as it says in the tips. But anyway. Yeah. The other thing that I was going to say is um, Thomasina. Has written recipes for us in the past mm-hmm. and um when i was i was looking up the um the history of this recipe online and i found that we've actually got a, a sort of simplified version of the recipe online on olivemagazine.com so if anyone wants to come and make the agua chili then um please um come to come and have a look on the website and um it's on there so thank you very much well i'll be having a go yeah and i'll be maybe trying that Fishy spaghetti, that sounds very good. Thank you. Thanks, (laughs) Jean. Lastly, Charlotte and Sarah discuss some gender stereotyping in the food world. So we'd like to try and banish stereotypes in the kitchen um, because there's still, even today, this idea that it is generally women who cook at home and men who cook in professional kitchens. And in my experience, at least, that's just not true. And I'm not sure why it's still a thing. Certainly in my household, I do about 20% of the cooking. And the general rule is whoever gets home earliest surely would cook. And that seems to be what my friends do. First way of doing it. Surely. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are doing that now. I think these um, stereotypes of women staying at home and doing all the housework and cooking are just completely outdated. Yeah, there's just not much evidence for it anymore. Um, and also, it, it can be easy to misconstrue what's actually going on. Because my mum does actually do all the cooking between her and my dad, but that's just because my dad is just useless at cooking. <laughs> he just can't do it. And he's tried so hard and he's done classes and everything but he's the kind of person where he tries to fry an egg and it ends up on his foot and it's, it just doesn't work so there he he just doesn't do any of the cooking that's a very good reason for it but I think the problem with stereotypes is that if we have them out there too much people think that they have to play up to them so self-fulfilling prophecy yes exactly so so it can be dangerous but we would like to banish those I mean, there's just so many um examples of it you know it's not just women having to stay home and and cook it's in professional kitchens. Whenever you see male chefs that are portrayed as really kind of manly and they're pictured with you know brandishing knives or with slabs of meat, <laughs> and then in the same feature, a female chef will be photographed but will be wearing like a nice pretty dress or will be, you know, 
holding a cake yeah exactly. bowl. yeah yeah it's just a bit boring now it is it is really boring and the majority of female personalities within the industry are meant to be wholesome and clean eating which is a phrase that we hate at olive um and you know glowing let's all get the glow whereas men just don't have that kind of pressure mm. and I think it's just reinforcing those kind of bad um things that we're telling women and young girls you know you need to be this size you need to look a certain way you can't eat or don't don't eat cake because it's awful and you'll be bigger than society wants you to be yes it's, it's difficult to overcome pressures and expectations like that. Even when you're a consumer shopping in a supermarket, a lot of the packaging of a product is specifically aimed yeah. towards whether you're a man or whether you're a woman. And it just seems, can't you have a break from this pressure? <laughs> so shouldn't you be able to make a food choice based on who you are as an individual? Yeah, I mean, food is the one thing that is common to everybody. We yes. all have to eat. So why arbitrarily gender food ah, so it's a way to make money isn't it but it's it's difficult to rise above that but when it's so overt like selling a chocolate bar because it's for men or <laughs> selling a yogurt because it's um whippy and light textured mm. for women is it's, it's quite hard to overcome that because you just become such a drone in what you do yeah it's very difficult it's just like it was something that you see in the toy industry a lot when you go into a toy shop with your kids. It's usually separated into pink and blue. Yeah. And it's difficult to, to overcome that boundary. And it's such a shame that you see that pinkification in food as well now. Yeah. When you just want it's, a break from that. Yeah, even to you know, the extent that, you know, you buy those little toy kitchens, you know, the ones I mean with like the little pans and fake food and stuff. And that would be in the girls' section of the toy shop. Yeah. And it's just, you know, if we're continuing to enforce those stereotypes, then how are we ever going to change opinions? They should choose different colours as well, because I'm so bored of the pink <laughs> and blue thing. It's just, <laughs> when you try and buy a birthday card for a little baby boy or a little baby girl, it's very difficult to find mm. one that's not pink or blue. Mm. But I don't know when that will change or what needs to happen for that to change or enough people to start complaining about it for mm. it to change. It's just boring and most of this stuff is just boring and tired and... Yeah. It's not even fresh anymore. I went back home this weekend to um, to Paul and I went for breakfast with my nan. And on the menu was a normal cooked breakfast, like two sausages, two pizza, bacon, whatever. And then below it was a ladies' option, <laughs> which was just one of everything. So, <laughs> was it the same price? Was it, um, was it half the price at least? I don't you know. I didn't look. I was so <laughs> angry that you know, ladies can't possibly eat more than... yeah you know, a certain amount. Oh, it's just a way to sell things. But um, as a drinks writer, you've seen it not only in food, but also yeah. in beverages. Yeah, I think it's particularly bad in, in the drinks industry. People are kind of gendering drinks for no apparent reason. It's that whole kind of like men drink whiskey and women drink long, fruity, vodka-based drinks, mm. um, which is so frustrating because I... Um, completely opposite. It depends on your taste buds. You know, mm. if you if you're a bloke who likes long fruity drinks, great, good good for you. But then there's social pressure to not drink that from a yeah pretty for sure. When I was bartending, I used to get all the time a guy order a drink from the list of ingredients, and then it would arrive, and you go, oh no, or can I have it in a more manly glass? Or 
Is there tankard. a way to, to not make it pink? It's like, well, <laughs> no, because that's the drink that you've ordered and it's in that glass for a specific reason. Yeah. And actually, some of the most um, classically manly drinks um, are in girly glasses. Sarah said that in inverted commas. Yeah, sorry, I can't, can't translate <laughs> that to audio. Um, yes, yeah, so like a martini or a Manhattan is served in a martini glass. Yes, Which that's a lot true. of blokes don't want to have. They think that that makes them look girly and... And it's just absolutely ridiculous. And I've been in places before and I've ordered whiskey drinks. So I've ordered a, a you know, bourbon or a rum or whatever. And they go, oh, are you sure? No. Oh, you do realise that's quite strong. It's like, well, <laughs> yes, I do realise that's quite strong. And I do realise what it tastes like. Yeah. Um, and I had a press release come through quite recently, actually. I think I actually forwarded it on to you because it made me angry. You were enraged. Yes. Um, it was about vodka and bourbon and they were trying to argue they're breaking down the gender stereotypes, but actually they were enforcing them even more. They were trying to make vodka a man's drink and um, have a really kind of like strong, punchy drink and make the bourbon light and fruity. And it's like, well, actually, you're doing exactly the same mm. thing. Mm. You know, it's great to show the versatility of the spirit, but why gender it at all? It doesn't need to be. It's confusing. The whole thing's bizarre. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, yeah. It makes me very cross. Yes, me too. I think I think we're quite lucky that we're all kind of on the same page and we're all, you know, wanting to ban gender stereotypes from the mag. And actually, we've got a column coming up um, from Tony Naylor, which will also go online uh, on the subject. So if you want to find out a bit more, head online um, or pick up the mag. Yeah, so next time I'm at a bar, I'll order a double bourbon. <laughs> yes, do. On purpose. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Olive Magazine podcast. Please don't forget to go review and rate us on iTunes. For more information on things we've discussed in this episode, head to our website, olivemagazine.com. You can pick up a copy of our brand new August issue now from newsagents or download the app version. Laura, the editor, will be back hosting next week when we'll have more food and drink chat. See you then.